I'll be preaching on Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25, but let's pray before we get into the Word. Gracious and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that in this moment you would help me to glorify you with my words. And I pray that during this time together we would all learn to love you for who you are, and that we would get a deeper sense of what you've done for us. I pray these things in your name. Amen. wonder if any of you have ever heard of the ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes. Archimedes was a guy who lived in the city of Syracuse, which is on the island of Sicily, modern-day Sicily. And Archimedes was giving given a challenge by King Hiero II of Sicily, who thought that he had been cheated by a goldsmith. King Hiero said to Archimedes, I think this goldsmith has put a bit of silver in the crown that I asked him to make for me, and I want you to figure out if he's cheated. And so key to this problem was figuring out how you would determine the volume of an irregular shape. Now, I'm no mathematician, but basically it's easy to figure out the volume of a cube, but it's very difficult to figure out the shape of anything that's sort of irregular. And so Archimedes went away, and he began to think through this problem. And like me, Archimedes liked to think in the bathtub. And so Archimedes was sitting in the bathtub, and then he realized that when he got into the bathtub, his volume was displaced, and the water level went up. And all of a sudden, Archimedes figured that he had discovered a way to measure the volume of an irregular shape. And so the story goes that Archimedes jumped up out of the bathtub and ran out into the street and started saying, Eureka, Eureka, Eureka. And that's where we get the phrase Eureka. Now, Eureka is Greek for I found it, I found it, I found it. I finally found the answer to the problem that I was trying to work out. I tell this story because it shows that we, as human beings, love to discover things. We, as human beings, love to find things. We, as human beings, are inherently curious, and we like to explore the world and come into contact with new delights and with new discoveries. I think this is true um, from... From our infancy. One of the games that we often play with children is peekaboo. And peekaboo is fun because it's repeatedly hiding something and then finding something, <laughs> hiding something and then finding something. It grows dull with age. <laughs> but kids, kids love it. And then as we grow a bit older, we start to play things like hide and go seek. Um, we start to do crossword puzzles and word searches. Um, we start to explore the natural world and see what sort of things that we can find. And then as we grow older still, we will climb to the top of mountains. Not because there's any use to it, but simply because we want to see what's up there. Right? And then as human beings, we've also gone to the very depths of the sea. Not because it's necessarily useful, but because we just want to see what's down there. Right? We as human beings are remarkably curious, and our curiosity has taken us into the most strange and wonderful places. I even think it's interesting that we've tried to break the bonds of the world and shoot ourselves off into space. It's a very dangerous thing to do. But 
We've been fired by this curiosity, fired by this desire to see what's actually on the moon and what's beyond the moon. As we come to our text for this morning, Jesus is responding to a question uh, that a group of people have asked him. Jesus has been speaking in parables, which are short little stories with a hidden moral or a hidden spiritual message. And what we discussed last week is that the way to get at that hidden spiritual or moral message is to listen and actually think about what Jesus is saying. And so the people have asked Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Why are you speaking in this way? And there's a worry behind that question. Right? And you can imagine the people, as they're listening to Jesus talking in parables, are thinking to themselves, is Jesus trying to hide something? Is Jesus trying to hide the real meaning of this text? And if he is trying to hide it, am I going to miss something? Right? So there's this worry within the people as they listen to Jesus telling the parables. They wonder if Jesus is trying to hide something. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, they're probably quite interested in the kingdom of God. And so they're worried that Jesus is hiding something crucial about the kingdom of God. And so they come to Jesus and said, why are you talking like this? <laughs> why don't you just tell us straight, you know, tell us straight, tell us plainly. <coughs> and so Jesus responds by giving his followers two reassurances. The verse he says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus uses a parable to answer the question why he's speaking in parables, but the point of the parable is quite clear. He's saying, when you bring a lamp into a room, do you hide it under a bed? Of course the answer is no. You put it high up on the stand so that it can give light to the whole room. And so the implication is explained in the second half of that sentence. He says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so Jesus is saying, if anything is hidden, which indeed there are some things that are hidden, they have not been hidden permanently. Anything that has been hidden will eventually be brought to light. Anything that has been hidden about the kingdom of God will eventually become clear. And so in a sense, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is something like a vast cosmic treasure hunt that God has set up for the sake of human beings. As we go through life and we, and as we as a group move through history, we'll discover new and better things and greater things about the kingdom of God. One of my favorite Proverbs uh, from the book of Proverbs is in verse 25 too. <coughs> It says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Now, I find it interesting in the commentaries on this text that the commentators were constantly referring to children's games and talking about the fact that God had kind of set up this remarkable treasure hunt for humanity to enjoy, right? Around every corner, there were new delights that God had set up for people to discover. Now, the question is why? Why has God set up the world in this way? Why has God developed this great cosmic treasure? Now, the first reason is because I think it's fun. And I think it's because it brings the light to the human heart. Right? Right? It's a joyful thing to go through life and discover thing after thing after thing. 
right? As we read through the Bible, we see that God's revelation, God's revealing of himself is progressive, right? He doesn't give it all right up front, but he takes his people through a story and little by little, he reveals key truths about himself, right? And so we even experience that with the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Jewish people before Jesus came into the world would not have used um, the language of the Trinity because the full truth of the Trinity had not yet been revealed. The Trinity existed. The Trinity was a reality. And when we read back through the Old Testament, now having the doctrine of the Trinity, we can see it all over the place. But God, in his wisdom, chose to reveal that over time. And that truth is also true for the individual. Right? When we first come to faith, when we first become believers, we don't know everything. If you're like me, you don't know very much at all. <laughs> but you know that you've begun a journey. Right? And so God says, God promises that as we go through the Christian life, we'll learn more and more about who he is. Now, the second reason I believe that God reveals things slowly and reveals things over time is because humanity doesn't tend to do well when all of the information is given at once. A great example of this is found uh, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, where God has told the very first people, Adam and Eve, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if they do eat from that tree, they're going to receive knowledge, which is bad for them, and they're not going to know how to deal with that knowledge, and they're going to be, they're going to be tempted, and they're actually going to make bad decisions, which harm them, and harm everybody else. Right? So to receive the message of this parable, we have to have a good dose of humility. We have to realize that we ourselves are not God, and because we're not God, we don't really have the tools to deal with all the knowledge in the whole universe. Right? Rather, we have to trust that God, in his infinite wisdom, is giving us the knowledge that we need. Now, this is a principle which we practice within our own parenting of children, right? We don't tell kids everything at the age of five, right? We break it up, and we recognize that some knowledge can only come after there's been a certain amount of maturity. And so that's not because we're hiding things from them, but it's because we recognize that knowledge needs to be built up over time, and that the human being is healthiest when they receive knowledge at the right time, in the right order, and in the right way. And so Jesus assures the people, he says, don't worry. One day everything that is hidden will be revealed. One day everything that you want to know and need to know will be given to you. Everything. So that's what Jesus means by, you know, a lamp coming into a room and being set on his hand. He said, one day the full revelation of God's truth will come. And so don't worry. And then second... Jesus reassures his followers by showing them that those who dig more deeply into the kingdom will be abundantly rewarded. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So first, Jesus uses a phrase, uses two phrases similar to what he's been using in the previous parable, which is listen. Those who have ears, let them hear. Pay attention to what I'm saying. 
right? Dig deeply into the words that I'm saying. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. And so Jesus is saying, to the extent that you invest in learning about the kingdom of God, you will be rewarded. If you spend your life digging into the deep things of God, if you spend your life trying to think through the kingdom of God, then you'll be abundantly rewarded. You'll be blessed with abundant life in the kingdom of God. But then he says in verse 25, For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so Jesus is also saying that if you neglect to pay attention to the kingdom of God, if you neglect to uh, dig deeply into my words, then even the small itsy-bitsy benefit that you do somewhat have, that will be taken away. But Jesus is saying these words to encourage us to dig as deeply as we can into the things of God. He's saying those who commit to learning more and more about the kingdom will be blessed with deeper insight, more joy, more peace, deeper knowledge, and so on. Now, to actually dig deep into the kingdom of God, to spend your life digging deep, um, requires two things. It requires, on the one hand, a reason why. It requires a compulsion. As human beings, we want to know the end of our efforts. We want to know what's going to be at the end of the tunnel. Right? And so Jesus is saying, if you push into the kingdom, then what you'll receive is all the blessings of the kingdom. Right? The kingdom of God is something that is infinitely fascinating, infinitely interesting, infinitely worthy of our love and attention. One of my uh, favorite images uh, from literature comes from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And the very last book in that series is called The Last Battle. And in a lot of ways, that story alludes to what's going to happen at the end of time. And at the very end of that book, um, the main characters are entering into the sort of metaphorical kingdom of God. Right? And it said that that movement up into the kingdom of God it's the constant movement of going further up and further in. Further up and further in. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. There's an infinite amount of room to explore. There's an infinite amount of room to think and study and learn. One of my seminary professors often says that the new creation will be a place where you can take as many degrees as you want and where you can read as many books as you want and where you can talk as many experts as you want. Now, that very much seems to be the dream of a professor. It <laughs> seems to be the dream of a seminary professor. But I think he's getting at something important, right? which is that the, the kingdom of God offers the human being full scope to be what we are, which is people with this deep-seated curiosity. right? And so we'll spend all of eternity looking into the wonderful and magnificent things of God, right? That proverb says it's the glory of things, it's the glory of kings, the glory of human beings to uncover things and to discover things. And so on the one hand, it takes that reason why, it takes that compulsion, it, keeps, it takes that promise that there's some good thing at the end of the tunnel to actually dig deeply into the things of God. But on the other hand, it will also take courage 
I think it's true to say that digging deeply into the kingdom is like a treasure hunt. But I think I would be lying to you if I were to tell you that the Christian life is all flowers and roses and good sweet things and sugar coated, right? Sometimes you go through deep seasons of doubt. Sometimes it seems like you're not going to be able to figure out the answer to the question that you have, right? And so it takes courage. It takes courage to pursue the kingdom. Sometimes it's not even that you're going through a time of doubt or through a time of darkness, but it's that you're going through a time of boredom or a time of apathy. Sometimes you go to the Word and you think, well, I'm not just finding this stuff really quite interesting. Right? So it takes courage to keep pushing through. Right? And it would be more than appropriate to come back to this parable in those times and to realize that our efforts, even if it doesn't feel like they're going to be rewarded in the moment, will one day be rewarded. Right? This is a promise that Jesus gives. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so I can imagine a situ situation where you dedicated yourself to reading the Bible every morning. And for the stretch of months, even maybe for the stretch of years, you never find yourself emotionally engaged in the reading of the scripture. And you pray to God that he would help you to be emotionally engaged, but you find that you're not emotionally engaged. The point there is not to go and look for some cheap thrills. <laughs> the point there is not to walk away from what is a good and useful discipline. But the point there is to realize that even though it doesn't feel like it, even though it might feel boring, even though you might feel apathy within your soul, God will richly reward the time that you're putting into studying His Word. He'll richly reward the time that you spend digging deeply into the things of the kingdom. And so the idea here is basically that you should not stay on the surface level. That the Christian life is not enjoyable, the Christian life is not rewarding, if you simply stay on the surface. And the encouragement that Jesus is giving is to dig deep, deep down into things, knowing that when you dig deep, <laughs> you're going to find joy, and you're going to find peace, and you're going to find reward. Now, Trinity Sunday is an appropriate day to talk about these things. Because sometimes people hear the word Trinity, and they think to themselves, well, that's confusing. I'm just going to stay on the surface level. How is it that God is at once three persons, but also one God? And it's tempting when it comes to something like the Trinity to simply stay on the surface. But I beg you, don't, don't stay on the surface. For the love of God, don't stay on the surface. Because when we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about God himself. And considering who he is and how he exists is one of the most rewarding things that you will ever do in your entire life. Arguably, it's the most rewarding thing that you'll ever do in your entire life. And so there's great books. There's the Bible. There's Christian fellowship. There's learned people who spend their lives dedicating themselves to the question of the Trinity to be able to give you help. One of the greatest books that I think Tierra and I have ever read, other than the Bible, is a book called Delighting in the Trinity. And it was just a very good and simple and clear explanation of what the Trinity is and why it's so beautiful. And I remember coming to the end of that book and thinking to myself, my goodness, what a magnificent God. I worship. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to dig more and more deeply 
into God. And so, in some ways, the Christian life is like a good friendship, or it's like a good marriage. Right? We never want to stop learning about the other person. And we have this deep sense that the other person is this deep pool that we'll never plumb the depths of. There's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. There's always new joys and new delights to find in the life of another person. I love the invitation that the psalmist gives in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's the invitation I think that's at the heart of the Christian life. Come, check it out. Come see what God is actually like. And once you get a taste, you'll want more and more and more, and you'll dig more and more deeply into the Christian life. And so, you might ask the question, what does this parable tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? What does this parable tell us about the Savior who we worship? Well, firstly, it tells us that Jesus is not stingy with truth, right? Jesus doesn't hide the truth close to himself so that we can't get it. Rather, Jesus is eager to share the truth with us in a good way. Right? I don't know if any of you have talked to a very smart person, or maybe it's better to say a very well-educated person, um, and you can tell that they just get sort of a sick joy out of making you feel small, <laughs> making you feel like you don't understand what they understand. Right, I had professors like that, and I didn't like them very much. Jesus isn't like that. Right? Jesus is eager for us to understand, and he's eager for us to understand in a helpful and a healthy way. That's why he's using parables, not to hide the truth, but so that we approach the truth in a helpful and in a healthy way. And so it tells us that Jesus is not stingy. He's not stingy with the truth. And then it also tells us that Jesus is someone who richly rewards our efforts. Jesus is someone who richly rewards our efforts. Now, I want to be very clear here. We're not saved by our efforts. Jesus simply gives that to us as a free gift. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not saying that through effort, we come to be saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves us out of pure grace, not based upon our effort, but based upon his own goodness and his own love. That being said, when we make effort in the Christian life to learn more or to be more holy, or to learn more about who God is, Jesus richly rewards that. <laughs> he set up the Christian life in such a way that being a Christian isn't a miserable thing, which, you know, leads to breakdown and disintegration. Rather, being a Christian is a thing which means building up the person, which means going from glory to glory. Now, I want to say again, that doesn't mean that your Christian life is going to be all pleasant. But it does mean that through the process, God will reward you with gifts that you couldn't possibly imagine at this stage in life. I'll finish with this. One of my great joys in the Christian life has been talking to very, very old saints. One of my prayers for Redemption Church is that we get lots and lots of old people <laughs> to come to our church. 
One of the reasons I love talking to old saints is because often they've lived the Christian life for a very, very long time. At the end of their life, in their 80s and their 90s, they'll say something like, I'm only just beginning to scratch the surface quality of all the good things that God has for me. And I can't wait to get to him because I want to know, and I want to see, and I want to taste. Right? You can tell that even when their bodies have you know, basically given up on them and their days are short, that they're still ravenously curious about the kingdom of God. They still want to learn more. Right? Get this beautiful sense that they'll spend the rest of eternity like Archimedes, running through the streets of the new creation saying, I found it, I found it, I found it. <laughs> Whatever that thing is, whether it's the answer to how many angels can dance on the tip of a needle, or the answer to, you know, how human responsibility could be squared with divine sovereignty. Who knows? <laughs> we'll have all sorts of questions. You rest on the fact that Jesus is not stingy with the truth, he wants to reveal it to us and that Jesus rewards our efforts to try to learn more about him, try to dig more deeply into the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our teacher. Uh, you are uh, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You teach us what it is to be a Christian. You teach us what it is to follow you. And so I pray that as we walk through this Christian life, that you will continue to reveal the precious truths of the kingdom of God to us. Jesus, we're grateful that you reward us as we go through the Christian life. We're grateful that you honor the effort that we put in. And so Jesus, teach us more. Help us to satisfy this deep curiosity that we have within our hearts by teaching us more and more. More and more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.